All right, guys, welcome back to another Orange Couch podcast. I'm your resident nerd, Colin. And I'm your resident dweeb, Sam. And I'm your resident dork, William Tate Murdoch Jr. Hey, it was almost normal that this time. That was almost normal, Will. That's because I'm trying to be vulnerable, guys. Well, guys, thanks for listening. And uh, today, Will's got a special segment for us. So we're just going to let Will take it away after this short theme song break. I hope you enjoy. Question or two. We don't know what we're doing. We've got no plans. Just a couple cows, potatoes, and we're chatting with friends. If you like us, great. And if not, well, bye. If you haven't heard us yet, then just give us a try. Alright guys, so this is going to be a really odd episode of The Orange Couch. today. Oh, I'm not we, excited. I'm excited too. I think it's going to be fun. Um, I said not. <laughs> oh, I, oh. I, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Well, here's the thing, guys. So we're going to do a little social experiment. And the idea for this came from another podcast I listened to a long, long time ago. Um, it is actually a scripted podcast called The 36 Questions. And I know that it, Jonathan Groff is one of the actors who's in it, and I can't remember the actress who is in it with him, but they use this, um, this methodology in the podcast to kind of make their story come about. So we are taking our cue today from an essay called The Experimental Generation of Interpersonal Closeness. Can you say that one more time? Say, dumb that down a little bit for me. Generation, experimental generation of interpersonal closeness. Of interpersonal closeness. And what this says in its description is that this is a practical methodology for creating closeness in an experimental context. Huh. Uh, that I don't know. That kind of sounds a little weird to me. So we're yeah, going to be creating a, closeness today. Right. Creating and so, like, closeness. basically, what it is is we're putting this out there and hoping that y'all gonna fall in love with us. Because oh my God. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, well, I don't care if you fall in love with me, but I'm probably not going to fall in love Just with you. Just don't be obsessive. Um, but anyway, basically what we're going to do is go through 36 questions, uh, and they're broken up into three sets, and these questions are intended to uh, get more and more uh, intimate Intense. and probing Intense the farther we go. We go. Um, so with that said... Here are the 36 questions that lead to love. Oh, boy. All right, I guys. hope we don't fall in love with each other. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> All right. Given the choice of uh, anyone in the world, whom would you want to have as a dinner guest? Oh, man. Wait, does that mean live or dead? I think we have to make that decision. Let's maybe say maybe let's do one live, let's one dead. Let's say live. Okay. Let's, well, let's do one live, one dead. Oh, my answers are really lame all of a sudden. Oh, man. You so are mine. Well, okay, so <laughs> okay, here's, so here's what answer? I would say. Yeah, go ahead. So my dead guest that I would want to sit down and have dinner with would be Robin Williams. Interesting. Uh, he was he was a crucial part of my childhood. I'm, I don't think I can narrow this down to one person. So I'm going to say that my... My dead guest would be my grandparents, um, and then my live guest would be 
Sarah Rule, who is one of my favorite playwrights, or Oprah, because I feel like she could uh, fix my life and write me a check. Oh man! So you you went you you went semi personal. You didn't. So I, I guess I'm gonna go on the more personal route and say that my dead guess would be my grandpa who died in the 90s that I never met because I think it, I'd like to meet him. He's the only grandparent mm-hmm. that I haven't met. So I think that would be my dinner guest that, who's dead. As for alive... That's the hardest for me. I haven't even thought of one yet. Can I, can I, do, a, can I do a band? <laughs> the whole band? Sure. Coldplay? You know? Thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't like, like... I'm trying to think of who... I would really like... Shia LaBeouf. <sighs> Man, that is a good one. I think Shia LaBeouf would be a good one. There, there's so many that I, I really. Oh, Wes Anderson. Wes, Han- there's, there's too many, but like somebody like Shia LaBeouf, I, j- I just want to sit down with somebody interesting that I wouldn't normally have the opportunity to sit down with. And for not alive, I would. I mean, if we're picking family members, which I think that's ultra specific, but like um, my great grandma on my dad's side, Mama Mary, would be somebody that I'd want to sit down with. She's a really interesting lady. All right, question number two. Would you like to be famous? And in what way? Colin. Don't overthink it. Yes. Yes. Famous, not for the traditional famous, but like famous for maybe like helping people. So my famousness that I would like would be to be something like, uh, hmm, I want to be like Lynn Manuel famous or like Phoebe Waller Bridge famous, who are famous. Like she's famous for writing and starring in her own TV show. Okay, wait, wait. I like that. Okay, well, if you're if you're comparing it to people, I'd like to be Mr. Rogers famous. Okay. Okay. I think I really do think I would want to be like one, two, or three shots off actor famous, like somebody like Sean Astin. Oh, okay. Who, like, had really a really big movie when he was young, had a really big movie in the middle with Rudy, and then had the Lord of the Rings trilogy at the end. And, like, now he's, like... Now he's just kind of having fun up, with it. When he know? pops up in something, people are like, oh, my God, this is the guy, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I would want that kind of fun. He's just kind of having fun now. Well, like, he's just, he, he seems like a really cool guy, you know? Yeah, if you ever watch an interview with him, he's really cool. Yeah. Somebody right. like Keanu Reeves, that would be the kind of fame. I, I agree. I don't want to be, like, so famous that I can't walk down the street kind of famous. Right. Um, but <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a problem for a writer anyway. Uh, number three, before making a telephone call, do you ever rehearse what you're going to say and why? I'll start this one. Yes, I rehearse it because I don't like it it feels unnatural i love talking on the phone to people that i'm really comfortable with but like if it's a work thing or a phone call that somebody i don't necessarily know i definitely kind of rehearse it in my head a little bit and then beyond that if i can possibly do it if it's a cell phone number i have an app that'll send my call straight to voicemail so i can leave somebody a voicemail first (laughs) instead of talking to them face to face i'm gonna say no it well it depends for me i'm very i have never and I don't think we'll ever rehearse any type of phone conversation. Because, like, I, the, the, the part about a phone call that makes it uncomfortable for me is not knowing what is going to be said. And once I get over that initial ring, 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 and they answer, I'm completely over it, and I'm ready to BS my way through whatever is thrown at me. I guess that's what it is, is I'm not ready for anything that's thrown at me at any given moment. Yeah. 
Well, I just I, I here's the thing. I'll rehearse the first sentence of what I'm going to say, especially if it's something serious. And then after that, I don't really think much of it. Because if you can get that first sentence out, you're you're fine. I really don't think I've ever ever rehearsed a phone call. Number four, what would constitute a perfect day for you? I really like, um, and this is interesting. I would say I would really like a day where I am outside for a good portion of the time. You know, just like chilling in a grassy area with some trees maybe, maybe a hammock situation, maybe hiking somewhere, but also like finish the day with some really good food and going to see a play. That's a really good day for me. That's like a great day. Hmm. Colin? I think a really good day for me would be more on the lines of the only things in the day that I have to do are things that I want to get done. That makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. there's no there's nothing in my way. Like a, a day where there's nothing in my way where I can just do what I need to do in a day and get it done with. And there's no obstacles that are gonna cause my brain to wig out. Yeah, I think I'm on that same track where a day where I actually finish the things that I start or I started, you know, like because I I'm the I'm a type of person where I start a lot of things but I don't finish them. So I think a, just a day like where I could just start something and finish it uninterrupted and like you know i don't know it's it's, it's weird but like if we're if we're on a, like a physical sense like will i think I, mine would be like watching a movie like a se- a movie series all day in my pajamas you know but i can do that any day <laughs> but yeah <laughs> when did you last sing to yourself number 5 uh Five minutes ago? On the way here. What song was it? Colin? What was I singing? I definitely sang This Is Me earlier today. I don't remember what I was singing. Number five, part two. When was the last time you sang to someone else? Personally? To or someone like else or to around else someone or like else? Because those feel like very different questions. Singing to someone else? I think I could honestly say I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever, I mean, do auditions count? I don't know. I don't, the word to someone. No, no, no. I think someone, it's very like you. you in an audition, you're singing someone. for someone. But singing to someone? That, that I don't think I've ever done like that. I definitely very, have. But it was about a year ago. That's very personal. It was me. not like I'm singing to you now. But it was like a situation where... A couple of people were singing, but in my head, my ver- words were directed towards one person. I don't think I've ever done that. That is very uncomfy. Y'all, if you're in an audition, I don't know. I can't speak for somebody else, but when I, we're doing auditions and somebody looks me deadlock in the eyes the entire time they're singing their song, it makes me really uncomfy. <laughs> Number six, if you're able to live to the age of 90... And retain either the mind or the body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life. Which would you want? So either you can have the body of a 30-year-old and your mind will be that of a 90-year-old. Or you can have the mind of a 30-year-old and the body of a 90-year-old. I think I'm going to have the body of a 90-year-old and the mind of a 30-year-old. I'm on that same, yeah. Y'all, I think I'm going to do the opposite. I think I want the body of a 30-year-old because I know a lot of people who live to 90 with really bright minds. I think, you know what I'm saying? 
I guess I took the question in terms of like you are going to lose your mind. I don't think that's a given in the question. Okay, well, if that's the case, I then think I want I'm the body. taking the safer gamble here. Well, I mean, if that if that's the case, if I know that I might could luck out, if you out, can't get you know? out of bed and walk around, and like you have to have a catheter to pee because you can't, like, I mean, you could have a really bad ninety year old body. You know, that's true. You could also get a really bad ninety year old mind though. And you're a 30-year-old, yeah, but you, you don't know to, how to... Yes, but it's, it is more likely... Well, I still stand by my sentence. Well, my next statement. question. Number seven. Do you have a secret... Oh, <laughs> this one took me aback. Do you have a secret hunch about how you will die? Oh. <laughs> I kind of think I do. I think I might... I don't think so. I don't think about death too often. I don't either. I don't either, but I will tell you guys this. Anytime I've ever driven over a train track, there's a split second in my brain that says I'm about to get hit by a train. No, yours is that bridge in Bainbridge. No, I don't like the bridge either. I always (laughs) think I'm going to have a Susie Q moment and not be able to go to prom because I'd die in the river in my pink prom dress. But I also, (laughs) um, I really do have a fear of getting hit by a train. And I've literally told people throughout my life, if I ever get hit by a train... And they think it was suicide. It was not. I just know that that's how I'm going to die, which is crazy because it's probably not how I'm going to die. I hope it's not. That wouldn't be fun. I mean, I definitely, like, I don't know. Like, I've never really thought about specifically how I'm going to die, you know. I don't ever like to think about that. Isn't it Mark Twain, though, who, like, predicted when he would die? Like that he would die on his own birthday. J.R.R. Tolkien predicted it, his own death, and he was correct down to the day. I don't want to do that. I wonder how you do. I mean, is that just luck or like they they know something we don't? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he referenced he he the reference was in his book, the one ring, and then to nine rings to the men, and then what, however that went, those were it was a date that if you if you arranged them a certain way, it was a date, and then he died that year that day. That seems suspect. That seems I, like a something that was put together after the fact. It may be right. I don't well, that, know. I, I mean, that, that. That, that sounds like something like a fan but, like, watched it and was like, oh. They yeah. were, it was in the books, though. I mean, that they got it from the book. It was 1977. So Mark Twain said he was born in 1835 um, after the appearance of Halley's Comet, and he died in 1910 just one day after the comet appeared on its brightest in 1910. And a quote from himself, Mark Twain says, I came in with Haley's Comet in 1835, and it's coming again next year, and I expect I'm going to go out with it. It will be a, the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Haley's Comet. Whoa. So, yeah, next question. Name three things that you and your partner, which I guess in this case is the three of us appear to have in common creativity brown hair brown hair uh, i mean we have a lot it's just i can't do think we of not um no we I all think we, we all live in arlington we all get fiery <laughs> we all do kind of get fiery on the inside and then it explodes that's two for me. We all went to SGA. Oh. We all... Oh, wait. You already said that. Mm. Sam, I wish they had voted on Mr. SGA already. Why is that? Because we um, can add you to our party. 
our Mr. SGA party. We all... Have they voted on it? I don't know. We all... It's a teacher thing. Like to eat. We all do like to eat. Oh, that's... Yeah. Diablos. I, that was my three. Did y'all do three? No, I, I did I've three. Done, I've done one. <laughs> SGA. Um, we all have a podcast. We're all very emotional people. That too. Sam looks like he's frozen. I'm just thinking... That that little box right there's the only thing keeping me here. <laughs> I don't know. Next question. Next question. <laughs> Number nine. For what in your life do you feel most grateful? My family. Family. To be alive. Well, I think that's a given, Will. I don't think it is. Why not? Because some people aren't. You don't think people are grateful to be alive? No, I think a lot of people go through life really sad. And feeling sorry for themselves. I don't know if deep down at your core, you just wish you weren't here, though. Well, I do not, but some people might. I'm not getting into the specifics. Next question. <laughs> Number 10. If you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Um, I, Somebody asked me this question a couple, a couple months ago, and I can't remember what I said. How, what, what would I? There's not a lot I would change about how I was raised. Per I don't se. think I really have anything. I don't either. I mean, I think and, and if it was something, it'd be something stupid. Like I wish my dad would have let us get more sodas when we ate out. Because Chris Cowart was a "you get water if we're eating out" kind of guy. Um, I wish, and I don't know if this is something that anybody could have convinced me of, but I wish. I think once I decided I didn't like football, I just kind of gave up on any sort of sport. And I think there are a few things that I wish I had given Tried. a little bit longer of a of a shot. Like golf? No, like I really enjoyed basketball. I wasn't good at it. And I think I would have enjoyed baseball had I tried it a little longer. I guess – I don't know. I guess I was – I wish I would have been more under the mindset of – like growing up, I wish I would have been under the, more of the mindset of like, I don't have to fit in, if that makes sense. And I yeah. don't blame my parents for that, you know, obviously. But if that was one thing I could change growing up, I think that it would be that. I know that's not the question, but it's, it's, it's my best answer. Same lines. Um, number 11, take, oh, this one is tricky. Take four minutes and tell your partner, Z. Your life story in as much detail as possible. Oh God! I think we all kind of know this, don't we? Yeah, but our our the, our, our potential uh, universe soulmates don't. They're out there listening. Yeah, well, I don't want everybody on the podcast knowing my story. I don't think. Can we make up stories? No, uh, like I can make fun. up my life story. Um. I was born in a train going from Philadelphia to South Carolina. Shut of up. Of the midnight no, no, hours I'll go, we crossed I'll go, the Tennessee. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> this is stupid. Uh, I, listen, I mean, we're not going to do four minutes. That's an incredibly long amount of time. So I was born in Albany, Georgia. Uh, I was a very large baby, and my mom could not push me out on her own. So the doctor asked a little, little nurse that was in the room, and this is a true story, to help her out, she pulled over a step stool and stood up on it and crossed her arms and flopped over on my mom's stomach. 
And that is how I came into this world with Betty and uh, the help of a little baby tiny nurse. Um, and then I was raised in Southwest Georgia. I, my dad was a football coach and I did not like playing football, um, which was a huge part of my identity as a youngster. And then uh, the very first time I told somebody that I liked them, they looked me in the eyes and said, no, you don't, which shaped quite a bit of the rest of my life in terms of how I approached romantic relationships. And uh, I never had much of a problem feeling... I didn't mind that I didn't fit in. That never bothered me. I somehow didn't have that part in my DNA. Of course, you want to still connect with people, but I didn't mind that I was different. I just wish I could have connected with people more. And then once I went off to school or started Swamp Gravy, I was able to do that in a more profound way. And I spent some time in New York uh, working for Disney, which was a lot of fun. And now I write a lot. And I heard today a quote that I really liked, that writers write to taste life for a second time. The end. Th thank you for sharing, Will. <laughs> no, um... If, if I'm going to give the uh, SparkNotes version of my life, I was born in Albany, Georgia, raised in Arlington, Georgia, had a great childhood, had a great high school experience. I was one of those kids that kind of not necessarily didn't want to fit in, but I didn't like the fact that everybody around me felt like they had to try to fit in. So I just naturally chose the opposite of what everyone else was doing except for some of the things that I found the most important um, to me. Important to you or important to? Important to me. Like, the, I, I missed out on some things that I really wanted to do because of what I thought other people might think about me, even though on the surface I looked like somebody who didn't let anybody tell me what to think, right? Right. So then I got to college. College was a really great time. I grew up a lot. I met a lot of friends, um, and then at the end of college, I kind of got my heart ripped out and stomped on a little bit, um, but it's one of the things that kind of made me who I am today and realized that I need to do the things that I want to do in life because that's the, the only way to, to share happiness with somebody else is to make yourself happy, um, so that's what I'm doing now. Uh, I just resigned from... Uh, a job, and I'm moving into a new field of work. Um, so things are going good. I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing good. Okay, I'll tell the Sparks Notes version of the Sparks Note version. I was born in Georgia, and now I'm on a podcast, and I'm telling you my life story. That's it. That was okay. a cop-out. What a, what Total a cop good out. experience. You're right. Number You're 12, right. if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability... What would it be? Do they have to be real qualities? Because uh, if I could pick flight, I would. I don't think they can be superhero-like. Okay, okay. I okay. pick that I wish I had perfect pitch. I was going to say I kind of wish I could sing because it does frustrate me that I can't do the things sing I hear better. in my head. But, no, I guess it would be that I wish I had a, a singing voice that is interesting and worth listening to. Uh, but I think what I might actually change that to would be the ability to... Um, 
I really love to dance, but I have been really in my head about dancing in front of people lately. So either the ability to dance like nobody's watching or to be stronger, like physically, like not ripped and emotionally like veiny. Emotionally, no, not emotionally stronger. stronger. I feel like I'm pretty emotionally strong. I'm talking about like physical. Yeah. Like I wish I had some muscles going on. Yeah. I think my, my perfect pitch thing is along the lines of like, I wish I could just hear music and play it on any instrument. And I feel like if if I had perfect pitch and I could uh, designate what tones and what keys are being played, then I would be better at that. Um, I don't know. Cause y'all, are we talking like quality or ability? I think ability. Okay. Quality or ability. Okay. Or I mean, I guess it could be both. <coughs> no, it says either or. I think I wish I had the ability to. I don't know. I feel like if I could, like, know when the right thing to say is, if that makes sense. Like, I, I think I like say... Like, the quality of discernment? Yeah. Like, knowing what... Like, you know what to say, when to say it. What to say, and what when to say it. And, and also, I know what say. not to say. And when not to say it. Correct. Yeah. Set number two, guys. We're into the second set. Hey. Number Wait, third. What, are, what is like the sets? Is it like certain things? I don't know. I don't know if that's when you're supposed to take your pee break or what, but oh, we're yeah. going to barrel on through. All right. Set number 13. If a crystal ball, oh, we've done this before, could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else. No, what, I would not. Wait, no, that's not the, the question. No, no. What would you want to know? Oh, I guess I would say I would want to know. I'm taking. I'm okay. So before we answer, I'm gonna take this question at face value, and unlike the previous podcast where we dissected the whole thing, I'm literally gonna take it for face value. Yeah. Okay. So spit it out. Oh, uh, um, I would just want to know if I'm happy or not. That same. I would just want to know if I'm happy. I was gonna. I thought about going that route, but I really think I just want to know what the winning lottery numbers are for next week. Yeah, but that's not that's not like your life. Like, it's it asking, does. If you could tell the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, oh, uh, because well, guess what? If I had that lottery, up. it would help with the rest of it. <laughs> um, number fourteen. Is there something that you've dreamed of doing for a long time? Well, the answer for all of us is yes to that. But so well, I guess the it's the question. Part. But is the question really what is the thing that you've dreamed of doing for a long time? But the second part of the question is, why haven't you done it? Ooh. My answer is, I'm working on it. I think, yeah, I think my answer is, I'm, I'm doing it now. Um, I don't know. I guess I just have, I don't know. God. Next question. Fifteen. What is the greatest accomplishment of your life? Oh, man. Um, so when I was working at Troy East Central Mental Health, in Troy, Alabama, for one of my internships, um, there was a kid who <clears throat> there was a kid who was um, he was probably like twenty seven, so I guess he wasn't a kid, but he had um, pretty severe um, nonverbal autism. Um, and at the beginning of the internship, they had told me like, "Hey, we'll let you work with him over the summer." Um, try to get him to to verbally communicate in any way, any noise works. Um, and then uh, 
if if you work with him long enough, you might can get him to say something. Um, and they said, but he only does it, you know, he only he only has talked to a handful of people, you know. But normally, like, if an intern works with him all summer, then he'll he'll say something to him, you know, at some point. Um, and I worked with him probably for two months, and then at the end of the at the end of the internship, I was showing him some videos on my phone, um, and I said, uh, "Which one of these do you want to play?" And he said, "The middle one." And I like about fell out on like on the floor, because like on the on like my phone it was like YouTube, and there was three videos, and I said, "Which one do you want to watch, man?" Uh huh. And he said, "The middle one," and that was it. Yeah. And I was like. Oh my god! And I about like lost it just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. I was like, I did it. And so like that was one of the times that I feel like I, I did something good. Mine's the role of chance from Fortin Long. I uh, still yeah. think that is the best thing I've ever done. Good part. Um, I think that my oh, I'm probably gonna cry. Um, huh. There's a lot that just can't keep flowing through. I'm going to just pick one. Um, and it's really the first one that affected me. Uh, the very first play I wrote uh, for Swamp Gravy was called Swamp Gravy, Live and Learn. And I really loved the script. Um, but obviously when you're doing a play, things don't always go the way that you want them to. They never do. And, and this is not a secret. I'm not trying to harsh on anybody's mood or anything. But that production of that script was very disappointing to me. Um, uh, it was v- kind of heartbreaking. Uh, so I didn't really have a great relationship with that play. But um, the entire play was about a man who... Uh, he was born into a family that had a really bad reputation around town and everybody thought they were kind of low lives and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was about how this young man never realized that people saw how hard he was working to better himself and be better than the family that he came from. And in the end of the play, he finally realizes that the one thing that he was able to do uh, really in his, in his parents' honor was was to change the perception of that family name in Cockwood. That, that when people talk about that person, they say, oh, he's a fine man, instead of all the the crap that came along with his parents. And that is not my accomplishment. My accomplishment, or what feels like an accomplishment to me, which is really that storyteller's accomplishment more than anything, is that um, there was a girl in the cast who was dealing with a very similar situation where her, um, I don't know if I should get too specific, but her father was in jail, her mother was struggling with um, some addiction, and she told her grandmother that she wanted to change her last name. And after they had been in rehearsals for that play for a couple of weeks, oh, here it comes. <laughs> Not now. Um, she came up to her grandmother and said, Grandma, I don't want to change my name anymore. And her grandma asked why. And she said, because I can be like the man in the play and I can change how people see our family name. And that was very special to me. <laughs> yeah. Sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> I got Sorry, a feeling guys. there's gonna be more tears. I got. A, I just got a feeling. What coming, do you value most in a friendship? Oh, shoot. 
Um, I always want to say honesty, um, but I found a new one that I think is my new answer, um, and I think it's respect, um, because in my mind, the blanket of saying like the thing I admire most in a friendship is respect. Um, is is because to me respect covers all those bases. It covers it covers honesty. It covers loyalty. It covers um, any any of the words anybody could ever come up with. Because to me, like for me to respect you and for you to respect me, you respect you know my time, my space, my trust. Like you respect all things about me. And if in a friendship I can have a mutual respect, regardless of if we might have different views on things or. Whatever you know, that that's something in a friendship that I think is the most important thing. I think mine would be care, caring, because like there are a lot of friendships out there where you truly don't really care about what happens. I mean, and not that there are rare instances where you have like that really good friend where you actually do care, like you guys, but like there are so many fake friendships out there that just lack that care that I think is essential yeah. to, like, a real friendship, like a real connection with somebody. Yeah, I, I, think, I would say anything, any friendship where there's no care involved, this is just not a friendship. Yeah. Um, I think those are very good answers. I will add, um, I think I'm going to add patience. Uh, because I think I can, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I kind of demand a lot out of a friend. I don't I don't I don't like uh <laughs> I guess what I'll say is I I uh really push people to to dig into who they are and who they want to be and some people don't want to do that. Um so it takes a lot of patience to be my friend sometimes. <laughs> Number 17. What is your most treasured memory? Ooh. Oh, dang, that's tough. Uh, give me a second and I'll come up with one. I think my most treasured memory is when I was in when I was a junior in college, I was failing out of everything. I was a biomedical sciences major. And I was failing out of, like, almost all my classes, I think. Except for the labs. I was really good at labs, but I was horrible at, like, actual class. Um, but I had come – or really it was a phone conversation. I was sitting on the swing at the fraternity house, and I was like – I just didn't know what to do. Like, I, I was completely at a loss. And over the years, mine and my dad's relationship has gone from, like, a father-son to, like, a man-to-man kind of best friend relationship. Um, and this was like the first instance where I knew that my dad saw me eye to eye, but there was still like a kind of respect there. I had called him and I was like, hey, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like I'm going to have to drop all these classes and I don't know what to do. And I was like super emotional about it. And he, that was the day that he, he said, Colin, what I want you to know is that I don't care if you have to drop these classes. And he's like, I don't care if you don't succeed in biomedical sciences. He was like, all I care about is that you do something you want to do and you do it to the best of your ability. And when you find out you can't do it, you fall down and you get back up and you do the next thing. 
And he was like, because as long as you keep doing that, you can't keep failure in your vocabulary. Um, and I think that was the first time in my life that somebody, because my whole life people had told me, you got to do this, you got to win this, you got to get better, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to win this. And I was just tired of it. And the one person that finally just said, like, hey, it's okay to suck at something. Like, just go to the next thing was him. And I really, that is something that I've lived by since then. And it's not that I don't strive to be good, and it's not that I don't strive to win things and get the things that I want, but I don't I don't chase things that I don't feel passionate about anymore. Um, if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to go to the next thing. Or if I start something and I'm scared that people are going to judge me because I can't finish it, I kind of I lose that feeling very quick because of that, that one phone conversation that I had with my dad where he said, it's okay to fail. It's all about how you get back up and you pick the next thing and go for it. So that's one of my most cherished memories. Um, I don't know that mine has as much of a... Um like a long-lasting impact. It's just a moment that I remember really vividly. And there are a few that have that have crossed my mind since we started thinking about this that, that I just don't know that I'm ready to talk about yet. Um, but I think one of my most treasured memories is uh, a Christmas Eve. When I, I don't know, I was probably maybe nine, eight or nine. Um, and me and my sister both got sick. And Christmas Eve was supposed to be at our house. So all of our... Extended family had to make other plans, and they got together at a different house. But my grandma and grandpa um, on my dad's side still came over to the house. And I just really vividly remember that night after everybody had ate um, and the Christmas lights were on that my grandma rubbed um, new mall on my chest, which is like the OG, it's like OG Vicks Vapor Rub. It was way was better, good. homie. But it probably was Well, <laughs> they discontinued it, so I'm sure it was... Leaking into your lungs or something. Um, but rubbed that on my chest and rocked me in this old creaky wooden rocking chair um, so that I would go to sleep. And I just have such a vivid memory of that. Um, mine is, it's a little bit more sad, but um, my grandpa used to, every time I'd walk in their house after school, he'd say, Sambo. You know, he just called me Sambo. Yeah. And um, when he was in the ICU and he was on the high-flow oxygen and we didn't know if he was going to make it through the night, I walked in, we all walked in, my family, we walked into the room and <laughs> he op- he, his eyes were closed and he opened his eyes and he said, hey, y'all. And then he looked at me and he said, Sambo. <laughs> and as we were walking out, I, he just said, I love y'all, and I love you to each one of us, and that was the last time I talked to him before before he died. Sorry. No, that's good. That's a good one. Those are, those are some of the... I'm just holding on to it, because I don't like to remember him in that condition, but he was in that condition, and he still loved us so much, and I just... I, he's, I don't know. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> This one's worse. Oh, oh no. <laughs> what is your most terrible memory? Although it doesn't have to be worse. I mean, it can be worse in a different way. Let's see. 
Like, I'm trying to decide right now if I'm going to get real or not. I, I think I'm. that's where I'm at. <laughs> like, because I, I mean, I think we can, I, I can, I'll get a little real. Just because, I mean, I think, I think we're at a point where our listeners can take it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean. I mean, if they've been with us for 30 episodes. And right. If you've been with us for 30 episodes, you're ready for this one. I think one of my most terrible memories was a time when I was a young child and uh, something about these are hard questions, y'all. <laughs> if this is only part two, what's part three going to bring? I don't know. One of my most terrible memories was a time that so I, I mean, I don't know if I've said it before in the podcast, but me and my mom haven't always seen eye to eye on things. And it's not that we've ever like hated each other or like you know, like, I hate you. Like, it, w- it was never like that. But it was just, there was times in my life, and one sticks out specifically where I can't remember, but I was just like, uh, I would just be like a butthole. Like, I would just be like a hard ass to my mom about all everything because I just felt like at the time when I was young, this is pro- I was probably like 13 or 14. I just felt like I knew everything in the world and stuff. But we were driving to Albany one day, and she asked me a question, and I just answered very sarcastically and, like, very just like a douchebag would, you know? And she started crying. And I just – I that at, – at the time, you know, like, when you're, like, you're trying to be, like, hard when you're young, you know, and you don't really realize how – like, what kind of effect that has on people. And I think that in that moment – was the first time in my life that I realized that humans could hurt other humans truly, like deep down to the core, could hurt other people in a way that almost can't be undone or feels like it can't be undone. Um, But I had made her cry that time, and, and that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And when we got home, I can remember my dad I can remember my dad said something along the lines of, if you weren't my son, I would have hit you or something. You know, like, just, like, if this was, like, a guy talking to my wife like you did and made her cry like that, like, we'd be fighting. And I think at that point was when I realized, like, how how your words can be, like, missiles to people, especially on a bad day. Like, you catch somebody on an off day and, like, you don't, you have no idea what that person's been through or gone through. And you hurl some missile their way thinking, oh, I'm just being sarcastic. It's just a joke. Like, it's just, to me, that was one of the times where there was a switch in me that kind of flipped and made it to where I I, I took, I was more, care- there was still times where I was hard-headed in life. You know, like, I'm not going to say I'm perfect or anything, but, like, that was when I started thinking about the things that I said to people more often and and thought about how things were going to make other an, another person feel rather than just let me just hurl these things because I'm some sarcastic hard I'm a hard guy like I I blah 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 I say what I want to say when I want to say it like and and that's something even though it was a it's a terrible memory for me I, I think it's something that helped me at a, at a certain time in my life it's also just to add to what you're saying it's also strangely so much easier to be awful to the people that you love the most. Right, yeah. And maybe it's because you know how much you love them, but, like, 
I definitely have been guilty of of that. You yeah, know, me with, too. Sure. You know, you know, in the hit, like when when I'm super stressed out, and Mama might say something super, <laughs> like super innocent, like, "Oh, how was rehearsal?" And I'll just fly off Leave the me alone, baby. I don't want to talk about rehearsal. That's all I have to ever right. do. Ah! You know. But I mean, uh, that's that. I understand that memory. Yeah. Boys, um, my let's see, mine's not quite that extreme but it's just it was one of the only ones that popped in my head that I can vividly remember um so when I was a little kid and I say little I was in like first maybe second grade maybe even kindergarten um there was a specific long sleeve shirt that I loved I I mean it was like my favorite shirt I wore it I mom I would take it off at night mom would wash it and the next day I was wearing it again like I, I it was my favorite shirt I don't know why I don't even know if I can remember what it looked like, but I know it was an SGA shirt. But um, one day, it was supposed to be cold outside, and Mama told me that morning that I could wear the shirt, but as long as I had an undershirt underneath it. Because she had to go to work early that day, so it was just going to be me and my sisters, and we were going to ride with my cousin to school. So I, I didn't put the undershirt on, and then, because um, Mama said I didn't have to wear a jacket if I had an undershirt on with the long sleeve T-shirt. So I was yeah. like, okay. So Mama left. I didn't put the undershirt on. I just had the shirt on because I didn't like wearing the undershirt underneath that shirt. I don't know. There was something about that shirt, y'all. And my sisters were like, you need a jacket. And I was like, no, Mama said I didn't have to wear a jacket. And they were like, no, you're going to wear a jacket. And they like <laughs> made me wear this jacket. And... I think I cried that morning because I didn't want to wear the jacket. Yeah. And but, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that day, Mama sent a fax to the school because I had freaked out on Tori and Abby. Like, I was uh, yeah. mad. I was upset. She sent a fax to the school, and it said, Sam, it's okay. Tori and Abby didn't know that I said you could wear the shirt because she thought I, they didn't know about the undershirt, so she thought I was wearing it with the undershirt, but I wasn't. Yeah. So I, I guess that kind of sense that I lied to her about something so small. Yet I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it's like she she was expecting better of me in the sense that she thought I was wearing the shirt and the undershirt, and that Tori and Abby just didn't know that she said I could do that. But in yeah. reality, I wasn't doing what she said, and Tori and Abby were just trying to, you know, it, it's. I don't yeah. know why. It's hard to explain why that, but it was a very it's meaningful. Some kinda, it's some kind of guilt complex. Yeah, it was a very, I don't know, it was very defining for me, and I, I still feel guilty about it to this day. Well, it's just a shirt. And I can give you another one. I'll just give you another quick one. It's also a guilty one, but, oh, I forgot. Um, this one just came to me. This is probably the Gosh. main one. Um, it doesn't have to do with my mom. But we were on the playground. You dodged a bullet, Susan. Me and my friend, um, me and my friends, and one of my friends is Ethan. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. But um, Ethan was standing by the slide on, on the playground at SGA. And you have the slide with the, they have the roofs on them. Yeah. And I know for a fact we were in second grade. And I, just being stupid little me, pushed him down the slide, 
like he was standing by the slide, and I just oh, went, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> like, just laughing. We were laughing about no, it. I get it, yeah. But then he hit his lip oh, no. on the roof of the slide, and then he like uh, he he kind of rolled down the slide. I've done that before though. And he got hey, when I came, yeah. I I was laughing about it because I thought he was fine. Then yeah. I, I climbed down the ladder, and he was sitting underneath the slide, and he was crying, and his face was bloody. Oh gosh! And I was like. Oh no! And then the teacher <laughs> ran up and was like, "What happened?" And I said, "Someone pushed me, and I fell into Ethan, and Ethan fell down the slide." Big lie. That Dang. was not true. But I, st- I mean, I still got the stand. I had still had to stand on the wall, and I don't think that teacher knows that that was a lie. But that was. A- I told Ethan. <laughs> she I, definitely knew that. that I was recently a lie. came clean she to was Ethan. Like, yeah, she was like this fool. Ethan. He, he we and Ethan talk about it sometimes. Sometimes he'll just say, "Hey, Sam, you remember when you pushed me down that slide?" And I say, "Yes, <laughs> Ethan, I remember that." So we're still friends, so it's fine. But well, that that oh my god, that was a terrible day. <laughs> Will I have a lot of stupid things like that. One stupid thing that I really still feel bad about to this day is that um, I <laughs> I went with my sister and a bunch of her friends to see a movie. They all went to see one movie, and me and Ashley didn't want to see it because it was scary. And we saw another movie, which was probably the only time we chose to do something together in our lifetime. Um, and <laughs> We our movie got done, so we walked in to their movie to wait on them and saw, like, the last five minutes of this movie. So it's a movie with a big twist ending, right? What movie was it? The Mist. Oh. Huge twist ending. The <laughs> next day, my friend Camille Whitaker was talking about how she's going to it, and I was like, that's a stupid movie. You shouldn't go see it. And I... On purpose, that's a horrible movie to spoil for somebody. And I felt so bad immediately and to this day about it. Um, but I'm gonna tell I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a story about a pretty rough memory. Oh gosh. Which it, the thing is, is I didn't feel bad. I can't explain. How I didn't feel bad about what happened. I relate to the guilt of spoiling movie. I relate to that. But I... <coughs> McKay. Uh, and I also am not... I, like, if, you, if, if something in my story, like, tr- like, lets you know who this person was, I don't want you to villainize them because it, it's over. And it's not something that... Well, I'll just tell the story. How about that? Just tell the story. So... The reason that this is a terrible memory for me is not because of how I felt, but because of how it made my friends feel. So I don't remember how old we were, but we were very young, um, probably in like third grade, if I had to guess. Uh, and we were running laps in the gym. And my two best friends, Larley Bell and Aaron Simrock, uh, came around and lined up with me. And they told me that somebody had called me I don't, I don't even know if I want to say the word. I don't know if I even want the word out there in the universe. But basically, it is a uh, an epithet for gay that starts with an F. Uh, and I didn't even know what it meant, to be honest. But Laura Lee was so mad that she was angry crying. And Erin looked like she was about to punch through a wall. My heart is racing so fast even talking about this right now. <laughs> um, and I somehow was like, okay, well, I don't really care what that person thinks of me. Um, so I just told them not to worry about it. But I still can so vividly picture 
their faces. And what I do know is that I have a list of three people in my head who have done something along those lines that have, has really affected me. And I held on to it as like, one day, these are the three people that I'm going to just be able to be like, just throw it in their face. Hey, you did this and you hurt me, but look at, look at me. Look what I've done. You know what I'm saying? Which is not a healthy way to go about things. But what I'll say is that in the past year, like this literal year, the, the other boy in that story and I have ended up having multiple interactions and like conversations and I've gotten to know him and his uh, and uh, his wife and I really enjoy talking to them and I think that like it's so interesting that like one of the conversations I had with her was like how do they raise children in this area um, and make sure that those kids are like well-rounded loving people who don't judge people based on their skin color or their sexuality or or what they believe in and to have that conversation with her and know if this man married you the person he must be is so vastly different from the person I have created him to be in my head and to like be able to just have this epiphany that like if I'm going to expect other people to allow me to have changed I have to allow for the fact that other people have grown and changed too uh, was a very like life shifting moment and I guess that's not a terrible memory because it led to that but that the image of how upset Larley and Aaron were like is is pretty uh haunting. Another thing that I realize now that I definitely could not have seen then is that like the guy who said it was, you know, definitely not at the top of the totem pole in the class. What was he having to project to make himself look cool to those people that he was trying to fit in with? So like it was none of that was about me anyway, you know? It was about what he felt like he needed to do to be seen as cool. So, like, that is was also, like, a very freeing thought to have. Right. I think, I think that's, like a, uh, like, a, like, a terrible memory, but, like, a... Mm, Got to pay like off a, a Like, bit. a forget... Like, there's a forgiveness quality to that story, like a redemption arc kind of thing. Yeah, but here's the thing. Is it fair that I don't know that I have forgiven the other two people for what they did? Because I no. don't know that I have gotten there with them yet. Well, then maybe you haven't, but the one of them worked out. All right, guys, I'm going to stop you right there. Thanks for listening. This is our first two-parter. So if you enjoyed this episode and uh, how kind of real and raw it gets, tune in next week because we're going to finish out the 36 questions next week. So uh, thanks for listening to the Orange Couch Podcast. 